stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's senior stock strategist, Kevin Cook, who's also the editor of several of our newsletters here, including the Taser newsletter, to talk about what else, everything that's going on in the stock market and what maybe you should be doing or shouldn't be doing, how to handle your emotions during this time when we're in the stock market sell-off, and just the general gist of what's going on out there. So I know you love having Kevin on, so I've corralled him this week to give us his infinite wisdom. So Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Tracy. I did want to say that... um, I took a week off last week, and that was here in May 2020 for a vacation, and I went to the West Coast out to California, and I like going out there when things are kind of crazy in the stock market because uh, I used to live out there, and it is kind of removed from what's going on in Wall Street because of the time difference, essentially. So by the time you're already waking up in the morning, usually the stock market's open. And so you don't you don't get sucked into the couple hours pre-market and like, what are the futures doing and <laughs> all that stuff? You, right. you don't even see the new, you know, if someone reports earnings, you don't even know that that happened because you're not awake yet. And then, you know, pretty much, A lot of people out there just don't pay that much attention to it. I'm not saying they're not invested because we all were when we lived out there, but it just isn't the primary focus. So I kind of had a a nice week on my vacation of not paying attention to what was going on in the stock market. And it continued to decline while I was out there, but I just didn't have the stress level that I normally do um, in the Midwest when we're, you know, almost in the East Coast time zone and where you're just paying more attention to everything that's going on, including the earnings reports, you know, the after hours, uh, you know, news drops, all that stuff. And I didn't even pay attention to even to the cryptos or anything like that. That was, you know, that goes on all the time. Oh my gosh, um, not even the cryptos? No, not even the cryptos. I know it's crazy, right? Uh, but it was very nice. I had to say, yeah, it, it actually gave me a better perspective on what is going on right now. I felt. Well, I was excited when you uh, when you emailed me yesterday to come on your show because because of this reason that you had this experience. Because yeah. I think this is what this is such a cool experience for people to have. And, um, you know, there are people listening right now who are probably really concerned about their stock investments and or the economy. But right. I want to make sure we just talk about a timeless principle here that that anybody should be able to take away and apply to their investing life for the next 10 to 20 years. And that's this idea that. You can ignore the news, and in fact, you probably should ignore the daily news from the economy and the market when you're acting on your long-term investing plans. And I think you agree with that, too. It's just that uh, often we need a reminder, right? (laughs) Just like when you go, uh, you know, when you, uh, if you're at a summer barbecue and you've realized, oh, you've loaded your plate three times, Maybe sometimes you need a reminder that, um, you know, you're acting out of behavior that you don't really want to do. 
You know, yeah. and I, I see the same thing with people paying too much attention to the news and then making decisions. Um, you know, if you're if you're reacting right now because of the way the stock market is going down and let's be honest, whether or not the S&P is officially in a bear market of down 20 percent, most of the stock market is in a bear market. Right. You look at um, right. I looked the other day for yesterday. I, I took a look at six months performance charts. The software sector represented by the ETF IGV was down 38 percent based on Friday, last Friday's close for six months. So that's, wow. you know, software is definitely in a bear market. Yeah. Um, yeah. The NASDAQ 100 semiconductors and biotech were all down between 25 and 30 percent for the past six months, while the S&P just kind of hovers around, you know, down 19 percent. So it, it, it doesn't look like it's in a bear market. Maybe, you know, energy's holding it up or something. So right, right. There's a lot of big chunks of the market are in bear market territory and they seem to be forecasting, you know, the recession is coming. The recession is coming. But real quick, the one point I want to make is if you didn't already have a plan before you got here and now you find yourself reacting and overreacting and worrying, um, you know, that should be the lesson right there. And you and I talk about this all the time throughout this yeah. historic bull market. We always say you have to have a plan for the corrections and you have to know what kind of money you're investing. Is this 10 year money, 20 year money, you know, that you can buy and hold? Or are you do you need some of this money to buy a house in the next three to five years? And so you feel a little bit more attached to it. So those are the kind of things that we've talked about for years. Yeah, for sure. Um, but isn't it, it it's too late now to kind of have the plan, right? Like you can put a new plan in place right now if you never had a plan. But once we have, you know, a 50% sell-off in one of your stocks, that's kind of eliminates, you know, <laughs> what what you maybe were planning on doing <laughs> right. so, before that 50% pullback. Right. So, right? so that's why I was saying it's it's a lesson. You know, if you're yeah. if you didn't have a plan going in and now you find yourself reacting and overreacting to um what the stock market is doing, what the economic news is, what the inflation numbers are, then then that's a lesson for you. So for I'll give you a, a really concrete example. A um, couple of my favorite companies are NVIDIA, Square, and Shopify. Now, if you owned any of those stocks, if you bought them three to five years ago, you had really good gains sometime in the past yeah. year. Yeah, Now, really good. Right, and so the question is, is is what was your plan if something should happen? <laughs> Meaning, right. you know, and and what here, here's a general rule of thumb that a lot of people do with long-term investments. They just say, I'm going to have a 25% trailing stop. Meaning as the stock goes up, so when Shopify went up to $1,700 and you owned it from 500, then every new high would raise your take profit stop to 25% below that new high. That so makes let's, sense. Let's use an, let's use a, a, for simple math, we'll just say when Shopify hits 1600, your take profit stop loss or just take profit 
stop order moved up to 1200, right? Because that's 25% below 1600. And then when it moved, when the stock moved up to 1700, you know, then it moved, uh, uh, you know, a little higher. Um, Yeah. But the point is, is it's it's locked in there. It stays there. So even as the stock comes down, your trailing stop to take profits stayed at that high level above 1600. So when the stock cracked down through there, all of a sudden you sold your shares. A lot of people would have anxiety just about that decision. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, that was my next question for yeah. you. Yeah. I yes. just I, I just sold it. What if it goes to two thousand like so and so says it right. will? Well, right. that's the decision you make beforehand. You have to be comfortable with that decision. You have to be comfortable okay. with saying, I'm gonna take long term gains. And I and I stress long term because I'm assuming that some people did buy Shopify at five, six, seven hundred dollars in the past few years, yeah. watched yeah. it more than double, uh, maybe even watched it triple. And then they made that decision. You know what? I think if it if it comes back 25% from a peak, I'm just going to take the money and pay the taxes, the long-term capital gains taxes, and right. and I'll be fine with that for this stock. Um, if you had done that with Square or and Nvidia as well, you'd be very happy. That way, right. you know that that's the that's one simple model of a decision you can have for capturing long-term gains in case something happens. You know, right. the Ukraine war started when Russia invaded Ukraine. A lot of people just think, you know, that's a bad time to be in the market. Let's just, you know, let's just get out. Whether or not you look at the stats and say war is, you know, typically markets bounce back from when the shots are fired, whether or not you believe that, at least you had a plan going in. Yeah. Now we can also well, talk about well, what kind of plans people can make now, but I'll, I'll let you uh, okay. I'll let you lead the interview. <laughs> yeah, no, I do want to talk about that. That was my next question because say I am that person that you just described. I bought Shopify at 500. It soared up to 17 and I didn't have that kind of stop loss plan in place. I am a long-term investor and I love the company. And now it's, you know, it's fallen way back. I think it's in the threes now. So it's under what I bought it for a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. What what do I do now? What do you okay. tell that investor? Yeah. So um, I actually bought more Shopify today. So okay. um, I'll, th- that reveals my bias right there that I believe yeah. it is a long term buy and not a sell at at three hundred and twenty five dollars, um, okay. you know, and and so if some so if somebody believes in the company, then they have to do sort of an asset allocation thing. Well, how much do I believe in the company? And do I already own so much that I really shouldn't concentrate in it anymore? You know, then that's the right. You know, that's the price you pay. Um, there are yeah. other good ideas out there, though. Software is software went to the stratosphere. <laughs> I sometimes call it the softosphere because the valuations were just ridiculous, especially after like during the pandemic, when everything went online, uh, it just fueled the sales and profits of lots of different software companies. But valuations really got out of hand where you were right. Uh, investors were paying 40 times sales uh, for things. Um, so so even if you let's say the example still is Shopify and you think, oh, boy, I should buy more down here. Well, you really have to look at how much you already have allocated. And 
there are a ton of other great software ideas out there too. Shopify may be the um, you know the winner take all in e-commerce someday, but there's you know a lot of other companies doing good and similar things. I mean, I, I even put you know Square as a payments company in um, you know expanding its ecosphere quite a bit. I don't know if you if you listen to the call with Jack Dorsey, but um, He's emphasizing the title acquisition. You know, he bought um, uh, who's the rapper that he bought title from the music service. Um, oh, yeah. Is it, was yeah. that Jay-Z? Um, I don't know uh, who it was. I think it was Jay-Z. Yeah, I do remember when they announced. So they this, spent yeah. 300 million on that. He yeah. Dorsey is excited about building ecosystems for the creator economy where right. people who create digitally, whether it's music or art or whatever, um, that th he thinks that's a. Uh, a massively undervalued market right now, and it's going to be it's going to be big. So, uh, whereas I've always loved Square as the small business ecosystem, where you know once you once a small business person gets into that ecosystem, um, and it just serves them in so many ways, from you know bookkeeping, accounting, marketing, finance, uh, new loans, whatever, um, you know, all digital. That why would they ever want to leave? It's it's better than a bank. Um, and, and Square is on its way to becoming a bank too, but, you know, Dorsey obviously has grander visions for what it will become to serve all kinds of business people. So Square is another great software company to look at. What about someone with a reverse problem than the one we were just discussing? So <laughs> there are actually some industries that are doing well here in 2022. And I, I got an email from someone about this. And some people are sitting on quite big gains here in 2022, especially if they bought energy even just six months ago. Some of the energy stocks are up 50, 60%. There's some of the, the auto retailers are kind of hanging in there, like America's Car Mart reported last night, and it's up 26% just today on its earnings report. Um, so some of these and agriculture, some of the ag stocks are hanging in there, especially on the fertilizer side. Some people might have big gains in that. What with these kinds of market conditions, should they just be like running for the exits in these stocks? Should they just cash it in and get out? Or is this also the time when they they do have the time to put on some kind of, you know, stop loss kind of plan? Um, or that kind of thing and, and try to write it out and see what happens or what, what about those people? Yeah, I'm no energy expert. Um, and it's great to see that sector doing well. I think you mentioned, um, you, you've, you own some things that are paying a 7% yield right now, which yeah. is, it's always nice to have that extra cash flow. So I would say that, um, the inflation outlook and the energy outlook that that's probably still a bull market for those investors. So. Okay. It would make sense to, you know, to still hang on to some of that and then exercise the option of having the exit uh, plan. Yeah. The stop losses yeah. that can lock in your gains, you know, yeah, yeah. like one of the, you know, it doesn't have to be a 25% trailing stop. It, you know, you could make it, you could make it 20% or 15%. But the, if the, the thing about it is, is if you sit down with a piece of paper and think about what you're trying to achieve, what your plan is, and then you actually make the decision, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and put that trailing stop loss order in. 
it means you've gone through that decision process and then it's 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 sort of uh, set and forget for you you know yeah and if anybody doesn't yeah, know what a trailing right. stop is just just go to your broker's website and um and you know search for trailing stop and it should have yeah. explanations of how it works how to implement it and if you don't get the help there you need on your broker's website then just call them i mean that's what they're there for even though you don't pay yeah. them commissions they make money off of holding your account balances and so they're there and they have to answer any questions you have like this that's a good point um okay on another area uh what about some of these stocks that have sold off that appear to be cheap but if we do have an economic slowdown or even recession then they might not be cheap. And I'm talking about a lot of the retail side or basically any kind of company that's really consumer focused, even on the um, social media side and things that you know make a lot of money off advertising, which usually will slow down if the economy slows down, obviously. Uh, what should I be doing with some of those stocks? Because they do appear to be cheap. Like there's some retailers that are trading at, you know, nine or 10 times or even less. American Eagle Outfitters is trading at like seven times its earnings right now. It's about to report earnings this week. When I recorded this, they hadn't reported yet. So unclear what might happen there, but they, they're super cheap. They pay a dividend. It's yielding like 5% right now. So what do I do with some of these types of stocks? Are they just too risky here with a possibility of a recession looming? Yeah, that's so that's that brings up the bigger question of is a recession coming? Well, yeah, the answer is that we don't know right now. Um, we don't have right. enough. We there's I don't think there's enough evidence to have high confidence in a recession call. Um, OK, so. I try and model it just in my own, you know, back of the envelope way where um, given a, a lot of the recent data, um, I moved my recession probability up to 35%. And that, that means, that means I want to be in at least 35% cash. Um, and then where I really get worried, where, where the curve starts to sort of accelerate is if I say, well, now the recession probability is 40% or higher, you know, and that means that a lot of negatives are hitting the economy at once and that we're yeah. going to see a growth slowdown and we're going to see an earnings slowdown. Right now, the earnings picture is still strong. But yeah. speaking of retailers, we got that uh, call from Target last week and Walmart, you know, right. Target basically said, hey, uh, costs are going up. We're going to spend a billion dollars more in fuel transportation costs and yeah. uh and uh target shares just got uh just obliterated they went they fell from like 210 now trading under 150 today yeah. uh, i was gonna look at how cheap target is but you so you ask like are these it's stocks trading, yeah, it's cheap <laughs> yeah so it's trading at um, 14 times i did look at that one and okay. it used to be over 20. And it's, you know, it's come yeah. down quite a bit, even if the estimates are being shaved a bit there. Right. It's still so, cheap. so part of what the stock market tends to do as as group and crowd behavior does is it does tend to run for the exits in the sense that if enough investors think that the recession probability is pretty high and they start running for the exits, then everybody starts reacting. So it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, the recession is coming, the recession is coming, right? Yeah. 
And, yeah. uh, and, and it may never show up. You know, there's a, right. there's a famous quote that the, you know, the stock market has, um, accurately predicted nine of the last four recessions, <laughs> right. which is a, which is a tongue in cheek way of saying the market is often wrong. The market is overreacting pricing in the recession that never shows up. Uh, right now, I think that's where we are. I think we're in a situation where the a recession is not coming, but the market is rushing to price it in. And so that means a lot of stocks can still get cheaper. So target can right. get cheaper. And uh, even it was, was it your American Eagle was trading at eight times, yeah. you said? Yeah, yeah seven case. times, yeah. Yeah, so, so as long as uh, there's investor worry and concern out there, about a recession. And I'll just say, um, let's talk about institutional investors here. Institutional okay. investors, let's say um, there's economists at State Street or BlackRock or, um, oh, I was gonna talk about one of my favorite uh, fund investors over in Scotland, Bailey Gifford. Yes. Uh, I was gonna What's look up the their update? holdings because Bailey yeah. Gifford, uh, they are, they've been big fans of Tesla and Shopify and they've been right. right. Um, yeah. I followed them many times. They're a, they're a, like a 110 year old insurance firm out of Edinburgh, Scotland, and they're still owned by the partners. Uh, but they manage, God, they got to manage. Um, it's, it's in the hundreds of billions, but yeah, what's great about them is they are long-term investors, you know? So I'm curious to see if they had, if they've sold any Tesla and if they took any profits on Shopify, I have not looked, so I'm going to look that up. But do but they, they have to file, they file the 13 F's then, right? Yes. That's how you find yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. how we would find out. So I'm going to look okay. that up while, uh, while we're talking, but, um, okay. but just generally speaking about institutional investors is, um, they, they don't have fear. They're not acting out of fear. They might have worry or concern, but they try and be quantum mental about it. Right. They, they try and have quantitative a quantitative approach to analyzing the fundamentals. And so what they do is they just plug numbers into their models and, and, you know, they plug in a GDP number, they plug in an interest rate number, they plug in an earnings forecast and they do this for, they do this for the whole market and the economy. They do it for sectors and they do it for individual stocks. And so they try and be as, um, as quantitative with the metrics as they can to tell them, we should be buying the market here, or we should be buying more Shopify or Square or Nvidia here. Um, and so their models will change now too, if they lower their growth forecast, right? Cause now they right. have, in the past six months, they've had to change their numbers to from uh, US GDP of 3% to now maybe US GDP of 2% or lower. And, uh, and then they have to, plug in a risk-free rate. What's, you know, what's the 10 year treasury going to be this year? Is it going to be, is it going to be over 3%? So they start putting those kind of numbers into their model and it changes the valuation that they'll pay for the market for given sectors for stocks. So right. the extreme example sense. I was saying they're, they're paying 40 times sales for Shopify. Uh-uh. You know, now, now they want right. to pay, you know, 15 to 20 times. Is that the reason why you think it, it still has a ways to go further down because I, of the, that reconfiguration by the institutions, which well, is the big. Well, thing. I think, I think the majority of that has already happened. Oh, okay. The majority of the repricing of risk 
and the, the, the resetting of valuations, I think the majority of that has already happened with software down 38% in six months. Um, okay. And the NASDAQ and biotech and semiconductors down 25 to 30% in the past six months. I think most of, most of the damage is done. It doesn't mean that we can't go lower because you know, the one thing, the one thing I'm waiting to hear for is when a major institutional strategist from, from BlackRock or Bank of America comes out one morning and says, the recession is here. Cause on that day, you're gonna see another thousand point drop in the Dow. Um, and that'll be a good day to buy. What about the inflation data? What if we start to get, uh, you know, some of those prints, the monthly prints? We were still above eight percent last month, but what if that finally the, you know, starts to moderate and goes down? Could that be a catalyst? Oh, for, absolutely. You know, a bottom. Okay. Yeah, because right so, now, right now we we're sort of staring into. I'd say staring into the abyss, but that doesn't really describe what inflation is doing. Inflation is like a rocket going up, but we're yeah. we're looking at this this rocket of inflation going. When will it stop? And and right now nobody has any idea because it's like a you know it's like a giant bonfire or a forest fire. It's just raging out of control. I tend to think that it will soften soon, and and the economy can have a soft landing. Um, and the Fed doesn't need to hike another 200 basis points. But, what does that mean? What does soon mean? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> by the summer, by like, you know, if we get a couple more of these inflation numbers and it does start to go down, so it goes into the sevens, maybe even into the sixes by, you know, July. Is that enough? Yeah, that would be, that would be okay. fantastic. If we saw some okay. moderation here this summer, because that's that's you know, and the Fed wants to see that too. The Fed wants to see that, you know, it's it's not raging out of control. That uh, you know, right. and boy, the the uh, you know, we've always complained about food costs at the grocery store, but man, when you go to the grocery store now, it seems like they're gouging you. You know, yeah, <laughs> they show stuff on sale that's like fifty percent higher than it was a year ago. So right, you know, and then and then labor. I mean, so I like. Um, uh, I, I went to a Panda Express the other day and their their sign out front looking for help says yeah. uh, they're paying between 15 and 25 dollars an hour, you know, depending, wow. on, depending on what role you get. Like, obviously, they're going <laughs> right. to pay a manager 25 bucks an hour. Um, yeah. So we're seeing the inflation there, too. And yeah, you can so really see that, you know, the Fed has this dual issue because the job market is still so tight. Those wages are still rising. Uh -huh. They have to. Yeah. And even when I was out in California, I, I I was thwarted several times trying to go into a fast food restaurant. Um, I won't say which ones, but mainly just to buy drinks because it was very warm out there. And I, I was walking along on the sidewalk and I'm like, I need something to drink. I'm going to go into this you know, restaurant and get something. But they always had the doors locked and then they would come to the door and I'd be like, you know, I just want to come in and get a drink. And they're like, you have to go through the drive through And I'm like, but I'm walking. And they're like, too bad, you know, nothing we can do. But that was because they didn't have enough people to staff right. both the drive through and the inside. So they were just closing the inside altogether. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that in a lot of places. So I just looked up Bailey Gifford's ownership of Shopify. Yeah. What's going in on? In Q1, they sold 
um, just under 78,000 shares. Okay, that doesn't sound like much. No, it's not compared because they're they're really the they're really the second or third largest holder besides the founder. So they still wow. hold nearly 5.4 million shares. And so it looks like they okay. did not take advantage of, you know, they, they here's an example of the smartest guys in the room not having a 25% trailing stop for their massive profits in Yeah. I mean, they basically watched, you know, and I, I know they've owned it for a while and I'm going to think that they're, even though they, they've, they've added on the way up, they were probably adding at a thousand or $1,200, but now right. their, their average is so high that they've got to be underwater on a good chunk of this position just because they believed in it, you know, yeah. 5.4 5. million shares. And they just missed the opportunity to take some decent profits. And we won't get an update during the quarter like a um, a 13D or G because now they own under 5% of, oh, of the shares. Okay. So they're, uh, they don't have to report if they, whatever they do during the quarter, they would have to report if they owned more than 5% of the shares. Right, which is why a lot of them, you know, try to own under under these amounts, yeah. <laughs> like, like Buffett. And, and there's a whole nother level once you get to the 10% too, yes, that yes. you have to disclose like right away when you're buying at the 10% level within the 48 hour rule when you get to 10. So gonna, yeah, I always tell people that a lot of these big institutions definitely try to keep it under either under the 5% or for sure under the 10 so that they don't have to deal with these further regulations. Yeah. I was just looking up Tesla ownership by Bailey Gifford. Yeah. They only sold 100,000 shares in Q1, and they still own 9.8 million, and they are a, uh, they're, they're not, not like a top 10 holder. One of the big, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're probably um, top 100,000 shares is nothing. That's right, just, exactly, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Elon Musk still owns 23% of the company as, right. of, uh, as of the end of last year. Isn't Kathy Wood one of the largest owners yeah, too, I'm, I'm or is she not? I'm trying to see. I thought I thought Arc was. Yeah. And what's funny is is I don't see Arc listed in the in the resource that I'm looking at. Okay. But, but so maybe maybe she's not. Yeah. I don't know. No, she's got that big position. Sometimes this stuff can be hard to sort through and you have to look at multiple sources, you know, the sec.gov and then compare to you can yeah. use nasdaq.com has a resource too or I use whale wisdom. Now what about uh, the Kathy Wood type of strategy on a sell-off uh, of, of buying more? Like boy, sticking that, with your strategy yeah. and, and dollar cost averaging. What about that? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think she is going to be one of the most fascinating yeah. case studies of, of a new breed of investor. You know, it's like we, okay. we love to talk about Warren Buffett as a model for long-term thinking. Yeah. Um, and here's someone who takes much more risk on you know disruptive innovation, which is her her mantra, um, and she's remains confident. You know, it's like she, you know, she was riding high when things were going great, but um, she's not she's not giving up on her strategy. And no. and I guess it helps that that investors still put money into her ETFs, give give her you know fund inflows that let her yeah. keep buying um, because they believe that. 
that her ETFs are sort of a, a long-term way to leverage the future. So I, I, it, you know, I think she's got the right idea. Um, it's never too late to have a plan. If you didn't have a plan going into the sell-off, it's not too late to make one now. Right. A new plan, right. Yeah. For your, your own investments. For sure. Um, the thing yeah. is, is, is if you, again, we go back to the thing, the question I always like to ask is if you do have money to invest, then what kind of money is it? Is it, is it money that you're investing for the next 10 or 20 years? Then there's a lot of great opportunities, you know? So you right. just, you want to be looking at stocks that you think, um, are going to be significant parts of their industry or sector or the economy, you know, still and growing five, 10, 15 years from now. And those are the companies that are going to maybe 10 X your money in 10 to 15 years. Easier said than done picking right. out like the ones you think <laughs> may be that, but we all like to think that we could, or we maybe we'll get lucky and get into one of those for sure. Um, okay. So let me go over some of the tickers we talked about on today's show. We always talk about uh, Kevin's favorites, which are NVIDIA, although we didn't mention them that much this time. NVDA. What about NVIDIA? Should I be well, taking a look there? It's always been the beast of the semiconductor. I, I think so. They, uh, they report uh, on Wednesday, the 25th, right. after the market closed. So maybe by the time yes. some people are listening to this, um, there could be greater opportunities to buy. Yeah. To buy NVIDIA. Okay. I, I, it's business is strong uh, because it, it holds such a unique position in semiconductors where they're making um, not, not just GPU chips that can do artificial intelligence, but NVIDIA builds an entire hardware software stack that lets data centers and big companies um, just create and model and simulate just about anything they want with data and to do machine learning. Uh, they make a robotics kit that uh, a company can basically buy off the shelf and then have the hardware and software to build their own automations and robotics for any factory type setting. And AMD is very similar. AMD just rolled out their own robotics kit too. So these are okay. these. this is sort of a duopoly in the area of machine learning, artificial intelligence and automation that will go in everything from, you know, your cars to your kitchen. You know, I've always wanted to get into NVIDIA and then I just kind of missed it over the years. And so it is definitely on my watch list. So I'm going to be keeping that one up there. Yeah, you're getting your chance uh, now. I know. Yeah. Um, so NVIDIA, NVDA, Shopify, SHOP, Block is still SQ for now. Uh, Target, we mentioned them, TGT. Tesla, of course, TSLA, and um, I mentioned America's Car Mart. So if anyone wants to check that one out, it's CRMT is the ticker. They sell used cars, mostly in the South, but people are still buying those cars. And, you know, if they get a little bit cheaper here at some point, if they stop going up in price, uh, they say they'll sell more. They're their customers are doing well right now, even in this inflationary environment. So what are some of your favorite, what are some of your favorite energy companies that you're going to hold on to and not sell right here? 
Yeah, we were talking about energy. Um, it has to be Pioneer Natural Resources, PXD. That's the one. I own it in my own personal portfolio and in the value investor. It is trading over $200 a share. So I know a lot of people look at it and they always tell me, but Tracy, that's so expensive. <laughs> and it is. You can't buy that many shares of it. But that's the one that's paying a really big dividend right here um, in the first quarter. I think it was like 11 or 13 percent, something along those lines. It was up there between their their regular dividend and their special dividend. They have a little bit of share buyback they're doing too, but it's mostly in the special dividend right now. So if you go on like Yahoo Finance, it might not tell you the the actual yield because that special dividend usually is not included in there. And the first quarter was record free cash flow. They're paying out 80% back to the shareholders for right now here in 2022. Wow. So they drill in the Permian and they have almost no debt. Um, or not no, but low, let's call it low, low debt for a company their size. And I would look for maybe them to do some more acquisitions here with some of their cash possibly. But a lot of the, you know, companies are now more expensive in the space. So they're going to be watching maybe on a pullback or something. They might and be the, able to uh, do some more acquisitions. Yeah. The Permium, that's the, that's the uh, that's the area down in Texas where their their cost of acquisition of oil gas is like some of the cheapest, right? Yes, yes. And so they they are all domestic U.S. driller, and I like that. I don't have to worry about you know anything going on like Exxon just had to do in Russia. You know, getting uh, divesting of all of its Russian holdings. Oh, right you know, things like that. And even if you think like, oh, you know, they're in Norway or somewhere like that, you just never know. So I do like a lot of the US only drillers and Pioneer is one of those. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good opportunities on the energy side, but that one in particular has just a great balance sheet. So that's why I like it. Cool. So um, yeah, so that uh, concludes this week's podcast. We covered a lot of different topics and stocks um, and a lot of different areas in the stock market, but that's what you got to do when we got a big pullback going on. Uh, we all need advice of some sort. So be sure to subscribe so that you can get all of my podcasts. They're on Apple Podcasts. They're on Spotify. They're on SoundCloud, but get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify I described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.